grab your Bibles, if you don't have them already, turn to Hebrews 13. That's going to be our jumping off point. As we think about making much of Jesus in the context of our marriages, we're obviously going to bounce around to a number of places and a number of passages, uh, but Hebrews 13 will give us a good uh, foothold. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It's a short verse. It's to the point. It's composed of two instructions, one thing to do, one thing not to do, and a motive or a reason for the two uh, directives. The positive instruction is honor marriage. And this word for honor is a very, uh, it's a very uh, precious word. It means to esteem as precious. There's a form of this word that is used in 1 Peter for how we should revere the blood of Christ. Okay, so it's something very, very significant. The negative command or the negative directive to avoid uh, is let the marriage bed be undefiled, right? That's the that's the flip side of the coin. So on the one hand, if you do show honor in this case, you will refrain from uh, defiling. Honoring marriage requires refraining from certain behaviors. And the motive, the motive for the directive is that God will judge. On the one hand, he will judge the sexually immoral, that's those uh, immoral behaviors outside of marriage, and the adulterous, that is faithlessness, inside of marriage. On the whole, the logic of Hebrews 13.4 is fairly simple. It's a pretty fitting word for us today, and that's the big idea of that verse. Now, now that we have a handhold, the rest of our engagement is going to cons uh, consist of two main considerations, two main considerations for the rest of the morning. Here they are. Number one, why does God care? Why does God care about honoring marriage? And then two, how do we faithfully live according to these instructions? And, and, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to address that second question in a way that has some impact that, that lands at least to some extent on everybody in here, right? It's not just a word for married people. Even those who are not married or who are single again are charged with Hebrews 13, 4, honoring marriage. So how do we do that? Why does God care? How do we obey these commands? That's the gist of where we're headed. Uh, let's pray ask God's help, and then we'll get in uh, to those two main uh, components. Father, we ask that you would send your spirit now to help us, to enable us, uh, encourage us to understand what it means uh, to apply ourselves to esteeming your gift of marriage. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, why does God care? about marriage and marriage bed morality. That's the question I think that matters the most today. And the reason I say that is because whatever you think marriage is for, whatever a person thinks marriage is for, that will shape his or her response to it. That will shape the expectations that we have from it. That will shape how we will pursue it if we're not yet married. That will shape how we will respond to our circumstances if we desire it but are denied it for a period of time or perhaps a very long period of time. So we've got to begin by saying that marriage 
if you are called to it, exists for far larger purposes than our own private enjoyment and fulfillment. Now, that's not to say that enjoyment and fulfillment is a bad thing. Those are wonderful gifts. They're just not the biggest goal, okay? Above all else, uh, marriage exists to display the gospel relationship between Christ and his church. And this we see, especially in uh, Ephesians 5, in particular, uh, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. You can turn there if you like. I'm just going to summarize uh, for the sake of time. In, <clears throat> at, at the end of that, that discussion in, in Ephesians 5 about, about marriage, Paul concludes one of the most extensive explanations of marriage in all of Scripture. And the way he does it is he quotes God's design in creation from Genesis chapter 2 about a man leaving his father and mother and then cleaving to his wife in a one-flesh relationship. So that's Ephesians 5.31. It's a quotation of Genesis 2.24. Then, in the very next verse, so Ephesians 5.32, Paul explains <clears throat> this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, According to Paul, the mystery of human marriage is that human marriage has always been patterned after the Christ-Church relationship. So, in, in the history of human experience, Adam and Eve are wed to one another before Jesus is incarnated and on the scene, right? But in the mind of God, what Paul is saying, in the mind of God, the Christ-Church relationship comes first. And the human relationships, right, the human marriage relationship is patterned after and meant to be reflective of something beyond itself. So the highest aim of marriage between a man and a woman is to serve then as a lived portrayal of that loving gospel relationship between Christ and the church. I uh, sometimes talk about human marriages as little m marriage, little m marriage, that reflect and point to the Christ church relationship, which for the sake of convenience, we can call capital M marriage. And as, as, as his and her relationship reflect the reality of the Christ church relationship, appeal to the strength, the power, and the mercy of the Christ church relationship, then here's what happens in their little m marriage. Their little marriage becomes a venue for the becoming. I'm borrowing this term from uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage, which is a really nice resource. Their little marriage, as they're, as they're drawing on the strength of the gospel relationship of Christ in the church, their little marriage becomes a venue by which each of them helps the other along the path of becoming his or her, this is the phrase you want to catch, future glory self future glory self. So what's that? <clears throat> uh, super quick, I think justification, sanctification, glorification, right? Justification is the moment at which a person first trusts Christ, legally declared not guilty in the right on the basis of Christ's righteousness received through faith. Sanctification is the experiential progression of becoming in experience what I have been declared to be by faith. And glorification is the final realization of that process when we stand before Christ and we see him finally face to face and what we have been declared to be and progressing towards in the course of this lifetime becomes finally and completely confirmed. Here, here's the point. Nobody in here is yet as human as we were made to be. None of us in here 
is yet imaging Christ in the full manner of the likeness of Christ that we were intended to do. We will one day. We're in the process of doing that. Who you will be on that final day when you are your glorification self, true for me as well, that is the, that, that's, the, that, that's who God made you to be. That's who God loved you to be. That's who Christ died so you would become. It is the truest version of you and myself. We're in the path, right, declared as such in justification, but on the path of becoming that person in sanctification, awaiting the final realization of that. And in the context of a little in marriage, then he and she are covenant sanctification partners. Not the only people, but probably the closest human instrument in one another's life, helping, exhorting, encouraging, bearing with, sometimes long-suffering, their spouse in the process. I mean, you get, a, you, get a, you get a front row seat to watch what God is doing in another person's life and be an agent or an instrument of the sanctification of helping that person become conformed little by little, increasingly to the full likeness of Christ. That's very powerful. It's very compelling. And when we, when we, when we begin to understand that accent on, on marriage, it kind of opens up all different kinds of categories by which our marriages now can grow. Now, now all of a sudden you've got categories, right, for what to do when he or she frustrates or irritates you and how you bear with one another and, 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 and sustain them in their burdens and point them to Christ and confess sin and receive confession. Right? There's, 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 oh, I've got stuff to do, right? With all of these elements of marriage that are both better and worse, richer and poorer. In other other words, the meaning of marriage encompasses all of it, not just the good stuff, or I should say the easy stuff. Okay, so within, within that frame of reference then, so marriage is a lived a replica of the gospel relationship between Christ and the church. And as that's happening, he and she are serving as covenant sanctification partners, helping one another become their future glory selves. Within that frame of reference, then, we begin to see a little bit, a little bit about why God also then cares for the purity of the marriage bed. Why is that a, why is that a big deal? Okay, now, parents, what I said would be coming, is now coming here it's just not going to be salacious at all. So anyway, all right. Okay. So why does he care about? Okay. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, sex in marriage is most fundamentally, theologically, it is a covenant renewal ceremony. Okay. Covenant renewal ceremony. So boil this down. Um, uh, the, the, the scriptures progress uh, along the back of a series of covenant relationships in which, which God establishes relationships with his people. In every case that God's establishing relationship with his people, we're not owed that relationship, right? It's his grace, his mercy. Um, and so when he establishes these covenant relationships, these covenant relationships always have signs or symbols. The sign or symbol is, a, is an expression of the covenant but it is not the, the substance of the covenant, right? The sign points beyond itself. So uh, God makes a covenant with Noah not to destroy the world through flood again, and the sign is the bow in the cloud, right? Uh, he makes a covenant with Moses. The sign of the covenant with Moses is the Sabbath, promising capital R rest for those who rely on the Lord. Covenant with Abraham is signed or symbolized by uh, circumcision. 
The new covenant has two signs, one of entrance, one of entrance, it happens once, and then one of ongoing communion. The sign of entrance is baptism. It happens once at the beginning of a proclamation of, of faith belonging to the Lord, and then you don't keep getting baptized over and over and over again. However, however, there is a sign <clears throat> of ongoing belonging to Christ, ongoing communion with Christ. We call it communion. You guys are having a Lord's Supper service next Sunday. Consider the Lord's Supper along these lines when you celebrate it. Here's what's happening in the Lord's Supper. Jesus is extending to you in the Lord's Supper his I still do, and allowing you the opportunity in response to echo through your fumbling, stumbling, bumbling, imperfect progress in faith, your I still do in response to him. It is an embodied way of saying, I still do. Now, <clears throat> that sounds pretty analogous to marriage, right? Marriage, human marriage, kind of has two, two signs or two stations. One is the point of entrance. It's the wedding day ceremony. You only do that once. Couples do have vow renewal ceremonies occasionally, milestone anniversaries, 25th, 50th, and those are wonderful things to do, right? Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It could be a wonderful thing to do, meaningful thing to do. Your children are present. You're not actually getting remarried. You're reciting your vows, restating your vows. That's a wonderful thing to do. But marriage bed intimacy, marriage bed intimacy is its own form in the privacy of their marriage bed for husband and wife with their bodies to renew their vows. It's their I still do, our stumbling, bumbling, fumbling, imperfect, nevertheless, forward-moving marriage, I still do. It's very significant. And you can begin to understand, right? When, when, when you think about it along those lines, then all of the boundaries, all of the boundaries around sexual morality from God's point of view come into, into crystal clear focus, don't they? It's not just that God is... Uh, anti-enjoyment or anti-pleasure. One of the things we find about the covenants in their signs is that we do not celebrate the sign where the substance of the covenant isn't present. So Paul gives warnings in 1 Corinthians 11 about eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Here's an unworthy manner. Eating the Lord's Supper when my life does not actually express faith in the substance of what the bread and the juice represent. If I have not actually received Christ by faith, I shouldn't eat his supper. It's spiritually dangerous for me to do that. In the same way, in the same way, marriage bed intimacy is boundaried, right? It's not just the sign. The sign points beyond itself. And so the sign points to, and, and, and if the substance of marriage-wide covenantal commitment isn't present, then the sign isn't celebrated. It's God's way of saying, don't be too easily satisfied, right? desire, earnestly desire more. You were made for more. Okay. So their one flesh union in marriage, it's, symbol, it's, it's symbolized, their covenant union is symbolized in marriage bed intimacy, but that union then encompasses all kinds of marriage-wide intimacies. There's way more going on in the marriage bed than mere physical enjoyment. It's not less than that, but it is a lot more than that. You with me so far? Okay. So, two points so far on why does God care, some considerations now on how do we obey? How, do we, how could we go about obeying God's command to esteem marriage and refrain from defiling it? Okay, so broadly, broadly speaking, the good news is it's not super complex. 
It's not super complex. It's not, I mean, it's, there, there's not a secret formula. On, on, uh, at one level, we could simply say that the responsibility is to live out the gospel in the context of the covenant relationship of marriage. Uh, wake up, go to bed, for, you know, rinse, repeat for 50 years. It's not so different. It's a different context, but it's not so different from how we grow in Christ outside of marriage, okay? Marriage is not an intrinsic advantage. You're going to hear more about that next week in your sermon on singleness. I would, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I would bet that would be part of the point. What marriage does is it provides a different context, okay? So, there are, having said that, having said that, there are several uh, tools, I think, that we can use or encourage one another with as we would seek to cultivate uh, gospel-centered growth in the context of marriage. So, what do those look like? Number one, Number one, we can grow in the context of marriage in a gospel-centered way by keeping first things first. Keeping first things first. Let me put that differently. It is important for the married couple to love God more than marriage, to love the reality, the substance, capital M marriage, even more. I'm not saying that they don't love their little M marriage, but that they love God even more than that. There is, as you know, not surprisingly, a, a kind of cultural apathy maybe in some contexts, a disdain towards marriage today. But one of the things that we must be on the lookout for, people who care about marriage, one way to dishonor the gift of little in marriage is to worship it, is to make it the end in itself, right? To make it the, the object of my supreme devotion. Uh, Jesus, you may recall, in Matthew 10, warns about doing that very kind of thing in the context of our families. He says, Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We could probably include by application, whoever loves husband or wife more than me. He goes on to say, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus's point is clear. Discipleship in this life is not easy, regardless of the context in which you find yourself. It's not easy, but it is worth it. So friend, the most important thing you can do with your life is not get married, have kids, and raise a family. Those are good things. It's not the most important thing. And we get into trouble when we would regard good things as the best things, right? That's that's where idolatry begins to poke its head out of the ground. The most important thing that you can do with your life, as you very well know, according to Jesus, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when that happens, right, when that's the heartbeat, the impulse of our lives, then our lives begin to show, with regard to secondary blessings, whether we get them or not, Jesus is enough. In the Lord's kindness, sometimes, lots of times, He gives to us all kinds of generous, good gifts that we don't deserve. Sometimes we take them for granted because they're always there, right? But it's just a, it's just a sheer display of His generosity. The, you know, if you had a really nice cup of coffee this morning on your way into worship, we don't, none of us deserve that. Just here, here's some generosity. Here's some, okay. Um, on the other hand, at times he also, he gives and takes away, right? So sometimes he also takes secondary blessings that we still don't deserve in order to promote 
our greater dependence upon him. That's hard. That's hard to go through. It's a very merciful thing for him to do, right? He's causing us to rest on the foundation that actually bears weight uh, <clears throat> when that happens. Okay, uh, a second thing that we can do to esteem uh, marriage uh, in the way that we're, we're talking about. A second thing, we can, we, can, we can do this in a way that esteems marriage, honors the Lord, as we rejoice in the depths of our forgiveness by Christ, the depths of our forgiveness by Christ. Uh, I sometimes w- will make the argument that justification, the doctrine of justification, is what makes marriage between sinners work. The doctrine of justification, the embrace of the doctrine of justification is what makes marriage between sinners work. Why is that? because it overcomes our biggest problem. Our biggest problem, don't misunderstand me, there, there may be communication problems, there may be problems in marriage about uh, in different ways we view and spend our, our, our financial resources, uh, conflict over you know, how parenting might take place. I'm not saying those aren't problems. Our biggest problem, our biggest problem is the dilemma that our personal sin creates for us in the presence of a holy God. And if God, in, the, in and through the work of Jesus Christ, has resolved our biggest dilemma, then you lean into all your other dilemmas from the vantage point of security and strength, don't you? Right? If he can be trusted for that one, then he can be trusted for every other one. You may recall the, the parable in Matthew 18 that Jesus tells about the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant didn't get it did he? The unforgiving servant pled for grace when he was in debt, but he vigilantly sought justice when somebody else had wronged him in a far lesser fashion. He had, what what was his problem? His big problem was that he had failed to see how much the king had forgiven him. And that can be true for us as well, can't it? Right? We want in our marriages to be treated, we don't want to be treated as our sins deserve, but sometimes Sometimes we do want our spouse to be treated as his or her sins deserve, and that can be seen in the, in, in the manner in which we sometimes withhold forgiveness, can't it? Uh, the power, friends, to forgive <clears throat> is not rooted in what I deserve or what my spouse deserves, but in the limitless mercy that Christ has showed to me. And so if I want to love my spouse well, horizontally, I've got to drink deeply and regularly at the well of how well Christ has loved me, okay? Uh, third, third, how can we esteem and uh, honor marriage? One, another way would be by cultivating uh, what we could call multidimensional intimacy, multidimensional intimacy. So if the goal of little in marriage is, is, is this expression of marriage-wide intimacy that reflects how we've been loved by Christ and doing this Uh, future glory self, covenant sanctification partner, kind of life together, that's going to happen. That's happening across the scope of many intimacies, right? Where we tend to run into trouble, where we tend to run into trouble in marriage respecting the cultivation of intimacy is when we are reductionistic. When we try to run on you know, one leg or fire on one piston, we're investing in one form of intimacy to the detriment or the, 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 uh, the overlooking of, of other forms of intimacy. So 
I mentioned Tim and Kathy Keller's book, uh, Meaning of Marriage, uh, a, little early, a little earlier on in the sermon. Uh, another another uh, concept they used to illustrate um, what a healthy functioning marriage looks like is, is the, uh, the notion of a garden, right? Now, I'm not a gardener, but if you are, um, and you want your garden to bear good fruit, you got to do more than one thing, right? It's not, a, it's not sufficient to scatter really good seed, but then fail to water and fail to weed. We want good things to, I mean, like, you, you see what I'm saying? But the more than one dimension needs to be taking place. So I'm going to commend, commend what, what we might call three-dimensional intimacy. There's probably more as we go for three for now. Three-dimensional intimacy. So three dimensions. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to kind of introduce the three, and then uh, in a minute I'll say a little bit more about two of the three. Okay, the first one is face-to-face. Face-to-face intimacy. Uh, This is communication. Uh, This would be things like date night, cultivation of romance, uh, marriage bed intimacy. It's the kind of interface that he and she have between the two of them uh, as they face one another Usually in the, in the absence of, you know, we got to do parenting too, but this, these kinds of investments are especially made in the absence of, of, of children. There's going to be some overlap between these three categories. So I'm not saying you rigidly invest here or here or, you know, they, they bleed over, but for, for instructional purposes. Okay, so we got face-to-face. Here's another one. Side-by-side. Side-by-side. This is husband and wife facing, they're not, this isn't so much facing one another as it is facing life together, right? They've got tasks to do, bills to pay, children to raise. You ever have have the experience as a parent uh, where the children begin to pick up on who is the more permissive and who is the more firm, right, parent? And And so if the child makes the mistake of asking the more firm parent for permission to do X, Y, or Z and gets the no, they do the end run around and Right? So it's like, how do we parent on the same, same team? So parenting, uh, work, bill paying, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, the third one, the third one is, so we've got, we've got face-to-face, we've got side-by-side. The third one is back-to-back. I'm not flexible enough to do this, but you get what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm driving at, right? Back-to-back. Okay, this is, this is um, it's the fighting posture, right? Not against each other, but for each other. So they're standing back to back, right? Husband says, I know, I know, she's got an enemy and he's coming for her. She can't watch her back completely. And she says, concerning her husband, he's got an enemy and he's coming, the enemy's coming for him and he can't watch his back completely. And, and so, right, I'm in, I'm in position to watch his back. I'm in position to watch. Now, that doesn't sound maximally romantic, but it is, it, it's very compelling, isn't it, when you know that your covenant sanctification partner is watching your back and, in, and willing to go into a spiritual warfare death match for the sake of your growth in Christ. It can be very compelling. Now, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about one and three, okay, face-to-face and back-to-back. I think, I think for most of us, we more naturally slide as time goes by into, into side-by-side because stuff has to get done. The ri- and and, and that's not, that, there, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a necessary component of uh, marriage-wide intimacy. The problem happens when that's the only investment that's made. The couple begins to experience life together as though they were 
business partners or roommates, and then everything is, is, is the transaction of business, okay? So this, this must happen, but it's, it's, it, the, the others are, are, I think, a little bit more um, e easily open to deterioration, okay? So uh, let me say first a couple of things about what it looks like to honor marriage by cultivating face-to-face -face intimacy. There's a couple of really practical points. Here's the first one. Um, he and she can cultivate face-to-face -face intimacy by maintaining a, 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 a pattern of dating to the glory of God. What do we mean by that? Um, can't say everything, but it won't surprise you, probably won't surprise you to hear that many men, many men operate under the false impression that the responsibility to date or pursue the wife ends on the day of the wedding. Hey, we did it. The wedding day is the starting line, not the finish line. In the same way, in the same way that a person's justification in Christ is the starting line. Not right? It's not, you're just, but then you still go through the process of sanctification, experientially becoming who you've been declared to be. Uh, it's the starting line, not the, not the finish line. So, so and, and I, I have no idea who this, to whom this applies, but we're all going to benefit from this, I think. Uh, husbands who are seeking to lead and love their wives after the pattern of Christ, some of us may need to get about the business of pursuing face-to-face -face intimacy with our wives. And here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, uh, here's a question that will help you know whether or not this would be a good investment for you. I, I learned this from a pastor uh, years ago. So go on a date, ask your wife this question. Do you feel more like a wife or a mother? Do you feel more like a wife or a mother? If you do not have children yet, ask it this way. Do you feel more like a wife or a business partner. If she says anything other than wife, it's an invitation to build some intimacy. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that may, may, not, may not be, you know, super, super fun to, to find out, but it's important information, right? It's an important invitation to cultivate intimacy, that, that there's a some part of the, the relationship has a little bit of a deficit that needs some investment. Listen, right? Listen to what she has to say. Other, other, other questions that can, that, can be, that can be asked in this context. Uh, what can I do that would make you feel more loved? How could I make you feel more respected? Right? He and she could ask those kinds of questions to one another, getting down into the, 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 the guts, not just of, you know, what bills do we have to pay this week? How's our... But again, remember, their intimacy is a reflection of our union with Christ. Uh, one more. Husband, you could ask your wife, am I a joy to follow? Am I a joy? To, like, like, not just like, do you tolerate it? Do you, it's kind of functional. You get, am I, 
and, 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 then, and then wife to husband? It's a similar question. Am I, am I a joy to lead? Does it bring you delight to lead me? And, and then, you know, by extension, our... Okay, so homework for date night. There you go. Uh, another, another element on face-to-face, uh, this, I'm, call, I'm calling this face-to-face plus one. Face-to-face plus one. So here's what, we, what we've got here. Um, his heart reaches for her heart. So, right, they're reaching for one another's hearts. That's good. And, and they kick it up a notch as his heart reaches for her heart. Her heart reaches for his heart. Together, their hearts reach for the Lord's heart. Right? No, that's, that's, the real, that's the real electricity there. So this prayer, I mean, again, not rocket science. How do they reach for the Lord's heart in prayer? How do they reach for the Lord's heart? By time shared in the word. It, it, of course, they're, they're, they're doing this independently in their own relationship with the Lord, but, but the rhythm of, of Scripture intake and prayer to the Lord, it's, it's, the, it's the oxygen of the Christian life, isn't it? It's just inhale, exhale. Inhale God's Word, exhale the effects of sanctification. Inhale, exhale. And, 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 and while they are doing that on their own, they can also partner in doing that together. It doesn't have to be ultra-complex. But this rhythm, inhale, exhale, Hebrews 2 tells us is a key element in preventing our drift from the Lord— and insofar as it's an element in preventing our drift from the Lord, it can also be deployed in a way that we keep our hearts close together in contact with the Lord's heart and prevent heart, sorry, Lord's heart, and prevent drift from one another. Okay, so that's face to face plus one. What about the back-to-back piece? What about the back-to-back piece? <clears throat> so um, Certainly, in addition to being uh, prayer warriors on one another's behalf, the practice of confession and forgiveness is a way of watching one another's back. Let me give a, a couple of caveats here. I, I realize in saying this, some of you hearing this may go, I, I feel pretty deeply sunk. Confessing sin and receiving confession sounds pretty darn scary. So what would it look like it, to that person if I'm talking to you? What would it look like today not to take every step, but to take one step in the direction of the light? What would today's step look like if that's what you needed? If you're in deep, it's going to take more than one step anyway, right? So just a couple of suggestions you're super familiar with. Uh, If you're in deep, even if you're not, maybe you just need to tune up. Uh, You guys have a wonderful counseling ministry. We have a wonderful counseling ministry here at Christ Community. Let a seasoned gospel-centered counselor walk with you. Could be an overture for that kind of help. Um, maybe, maybe some people are in so deep, even to the point of considering throwing in the, the towel. If that's you, if that's you, then it's important to remember that what you're fighting for in your marriage is more than just your happiness. You're fighting to magnify the meaning of capital M marriage as well as the power that the gospel has in your life, in your relationship. Here's another consideration on confession and forgiveness. Um, certainly, certainly confession after the fact of sin is uh, necessary and valuable, but proactive is better than reactive. In other words, in other words we, we, don't, we don't only have to confess sin at the point of having committed sin. We can confess vulnerability. We can confess 
weakness. We can confess at the point of experiencing temptation with a call for help, a call for intervention, a call for that spiritual back-watching, right? You can, invo- you can invoke the appeal to help at that, at that point. Um, James 4, 6 tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. One of the most humbling things that you can do is not only tell the Lord, but another person, right, who's partnering with you in the Lord, where you are weak, where you need help, where you need to have your back watched. Admittedly, there's some trickiness in, you know, what do you say and when and how, but it can be sobering to have that understand in a good way. It can be sobering to have that understanding about the self and appeal for help where needed. It can also be very it's, 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 a, it's a curious form of intimacy building, isn't it? But it is also, it, it's also hand in glove with the very best kind because what, what it has the, the capacity to express is the reality of how deeply known, how deeply known in all of my shortcomings I am and yet still perfectly loved. It's like how the Lord loves us. He knows everything about you all of the stuff you don't want anybody else to know about you, all of the stuff that you and I might think that if other people did know about us, he would run in the opposite direction. But what does it cause, what response does it cause in him? It doesn't cause him to run away. It causes him to run to the cross to bring you near. And as uh, spouses partner in that kind of Uh, confessing, forgiving, pointing one another back to the cross, there is an expression of that kind of, it's unconditional love, isn't it? It's the securest kind. And so it can be very, uh, very much a part of intimacy building. Okay, a lot of ground, right? Quick word to singles. I'm not preaching next Sunday's sermon. Uh, This is like two singles on how to honor marriage. I'm just going to say a couple of things. I know that it'll, it'll mostly be handled next week. So just a couple quick things, three quick things. Number one, um, honor marriage, little m marriage, as re- by recognizing that it is both good and not ultimate. It's good and not ultimate. First um, Corinthians 7 be a wonderful place to explore this notion uh, a little bit. So um, single persons are not at a disadvantage for becoming their future glory selves. The mission of the gospel is the same regardless of station, single, married, single again, what have you. Some, right, use the tools of this path. Others come by uh, this station with the tools on, on the other path. Both single and married persons can show in their lives the better blessings of life in God's family too. If you do seek marriage, if you're single, you seek marriage, seek to be married again, Seek it, seek it with someone who loves Jesus even more than he or she loves you. One, one example, one example. Um, single women who perhaps are among us. If you have to nag or nudge your boyfriend now in the direction of devotion to the Lord, what reason would we have for thinking that that's going to trend better after marriage. If, 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 the, if, the, if the direction of his heart is not devotion to the Lord now, what, what, what would give us reason to think that following marriage, that it might, it might, but, 
But the evidence certainly wouldn't guarantee that that would be the case, right? Lastly, what is the meaning of our drive for and So we've done little in marriage, capital in marriage. We, we all, whether married or not, we all yearn for different kinds of expressions of intimacy. And we can describe the drive for intimacy that is experienced with friends and spouses and children and parents, right? We can describe, we, that can be little I intimacy. And here's the point. <clears throat> it's good. Little I intimacy is good. But it never perfectly satiates the need for relationship, companionship, friendship, and, right? In other words, the way, the way C.S. Lewis would say it is, is if nothing in this life can satisfy permanently and perfectly satisfy the desire for that kind of intimacy, you must be made for intimacy of a better kind. You must be made for intimacy from a better, capital, capital I, intimacy. So, 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 so here's the point then. Uh, single persons are not at a disadvantage for understanding the meaning of their life or, and their desires for intimacy are not wasted. What's a single person's desire for intimacy telling him or her fundamentally? You were made for God. You were made for God. But even if you desire to experience little in marriage in this life and you never do, and you get the outcome of the meaning of that desire, it might be hard, it might be, it might be some difficult aspects of that in this life, but it won't be wasted. And on that final day, no one will conclude that they were shortchanged. It's sort of like the, um, it's like the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a foreshadow to something better than itself. It was great in its time. I bet nobody in here feels like, I just got so cheated because I never got to slit a bull's throat for the forgiveness of my sins. Like nobody, nobody's going, ah, didn't, right? I mean, for, okay, so we're moving towards a day, we're moving towards a day where, ca- where little in marriage itself, this is Matthew 22, we don't have time to do that now, dissolves into capital in marriage forevermore. And marriage as we know it now will not be exactly as we know it now when we experience the outcome of marriage then. I, I don't know all of the dynamics of what that will look like. I just know that it's better. And whatever we don't enjoy now in the experience of that reality then, we won't wish we could go back whether we were married in this life or not. Okay. I know that in some ways today's message might feel like it's got a lot to ponder in it. That's trying to include some, some stuff for everybody. So, like, what do you, like, what do, you do with all, all of this? Here, here's my recommendation. Wherever you are, Zero in on one or two things that maybe grabbed you as, yeah, this is a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a place of, of, uh, of, of emphasis, a point of growth, perhaps. Uh, and then ask God to help you take the next step in the direction of Christ-honoring, marriage-esteeming growth in that area. Maybe for some people, um, it's, it's a need to pray to have a deeper grasp on how much we've been forgiven by Christ. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's what I really need to take away from this. What did it mean to marinate on the magnitude of Christ's mercy for me? Maybe for some people, the, the next prompt would be, I, I should probably reach out to one of the church's counselors this week, ask for a little bit of help. Uh, maybe for others, it's, what we, really need, what we really need to do is go on a date night and ask some questions that get at meaningful 
cultivation of intimacy that supplements what we sort of already naturally do with some things that we've let fall by the wayside. Whatever it is, ask God to help you do the business that you need to. And in his kindness, in his mercy, you might find that before too long, you've taken a few more steps down the path of becoming your future glory self. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you do exactly that for us today? All the people in here and all the various ways in which that might be needed, would you help us to identify and take the step, the next step, and the direction of becoming our future glory self? Thank you for your love, your steadfast love and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.